joy it is to be together. Um, what a picture of what you're doing through our church as our mission partners um, stood in front of us just moments ago. Father, may you continue to use each of us for the advance of your gospel just here in central Wisconsin and throughout our country and all around the world. We're so excited for what you're doing through our church. And may our time in your word be encouraging to us. Open our hearts, our minds, our eyes by the power of your spirit this morning. Father, we're excited to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 2004, uh, Tilly Smith was a young 10-year-old English girl on vacation with her family in Thailand. This was just after Christmas on the Christmas holiday, and, and they were enjoying multi-mile-long stretches of shoreline, which sounds kind of nice today, right? But on December 26th, they were out for a, a morning walk along the beach. But she noticed something interesting. The water on the shoreline began to recede, and there were some bubbles, some frothiness in the water. And just a couple of weeks before, in her science class, she learned about tsunamis. And she instantly remembered that both the receding water and kind of the, uh, the bubbling shallows were signs that a tsunami was imminent. So immediately she went ballistic and, and tried to convey to her parents and to her sibling that that danger was just minutes away and that they needed to get to high ground as fast as they could. But her parents thought that she was crying wolf. They didn't believe her. So she started to go even more crazy, and finally they believed her, and, and they told a security guard, and they began spreading the word along the whole shoreline. And everyone from this resort, as fast as they could, they fled back to the hotel, and they started to ascend the stairway. And just as they got to the high levels of the hotel, the tidal wave struck. And miraculously, everyone at that resort was saved. Not a single person there died that day. If you remember what I'm talking about, not everyone else was so lucky. A quarter of a million people died that day in one of the worst natural disasters, at least in, in our lifetime. But Tilly Smith had information that no one else had. She interpreted the signs, and she took that information and shared it with others, and she saved the lives of 100 people that day. But imagine with me for a moment if Tilly Smith would have just kept that information to herself. What if she would have just saved herself and no one else. What would we say about her? Might call it selfish, might call it cruel, but she didn't. She shared the message. Now think of how that might apply to us as followers of Jesus. When we turn from our sin and we trust in Christ, we've experienced salvation. We've experienced reconciliation and forgiveness and new life. We know the good news and we've experienced it. We, we know the key to life. We know the antidote for sin. So how selfish of us if we don't share that message with other people? That's the good news, and God has called us to share it with others. But before we even think about what it means for us to share, to go outside of ourselves and share the good news, first we need to look inside, look at our own hearts, and make sure that we understand this message of the gospel. So I just want to start in our passage by reading one verse, verse 13. Romans 10, 13 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well, in our context, Paul is using the title Lord to talk about Jesus. 
talking about Jesus in this passage. And if we read this in the original language, it would sound a little bit clunky. It would literally translate to something like, for everyone, whoever calls. The construction is unique, and without being overly technical, he's using some form of a relative clause here. It's a little too early in the morning for that kind of talk, Sam. Layman's terms, layman's terms. If you were reading this text, you would have read the whole thing in Greek. Oh, no, get out of here, no. (laughs) But what Paul is doing is using a relative clause, and basically what this means is that if someone calls on the name of the Lord, then God will save them every time. There's not some class of people that call out to Jesus but aren't saved. Everyone who calls on Jesus will be saved. It's amazing. Now think about what it means for us to call on Jesus. Maybe we can use a a picture to illustrate that. Imagine it's 3 a.m. and a toddler is fast asleep in his bedroom and mom and dad are asleep in the room right next door and it's a quiet, peaceful night. The snow is falling outside. But then the, that wasn't peaceful to everyone, was it? Okay, never mind. So apparently, neither right now. <laughs> no snow is falling outside. It's a peaceful night. Let's just say it's 75 degrees out. How there about that? There we go. There we go. But then the unthinkable happens. An electrical extension cord fails and starts a fire in the toddler's room. But a miracle happens. He wakes up instantly. And what does he do? He cries out to his parents. He says, Mom, Dad, save me calling out to the only two people in the whole world in that moment that can save him. And when we cry out to Jesus, when we call on Jesus for our salvation, we're doing the same thing. We're calling on the only one that can save us from our sin, the only one that can save us from the penalty, from the consequences of our own sinful choices. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only one who can save us. But, but think of who our culture might call upon, what our culture might call upon for their salvation. Good works. You're out. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. Think of who our culture might call upon for their salvation. <laughs> Church attendance, good works, righteous behavior, but none of those things are good enough, are they? None of those things allow us to earn our salvation. I love what Acts 4.12 says, there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way. And when we call on the name of Jesus, we recognize his incredible power. There's no other way for us to be saved. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is the only one who went to the cross for us. Jesus is the only one who conquered death on the third day by rising from the dead. Jesus is the only one who will return for us in glory. There's no other way. And when we turn to Jesus, we recognize his incredible power. But when we call on the name of Jesus, we also make him the Lord of our lives. That's the term that Paul uses in our passage. Lord means master. In other words, when we become a Christian, we recognize there's a new sheriff in town. Jesus is the boss of our hearts, and we submit ourselves to his will. Have we done that this morning? Friends, have we turned away from our sin? Have we trusted in Jesus for our salvation? There's no better decision that we can make, no more important decision that we could make than submitting our lives to Jesus by crying out to him, by calling to him for our salvation. He's our only Savior. He's our only hope. And for all of us, once we do have that relationship 
with Christ. It should be comforting for us to look in the rearview mirror and look back at our salvation, to look back at our conversion. There's so many things in our culture that we might take for granted, from the trendy sweaters that we wear to the food that we ate for breakfast this morning. So many things we take for granted. But may we never take for granted our salvation. We need to cultivate a heart of gratitude, remembering daily what a gift it is for us to have a relationship with Jesus. What a gift it is for us to be saved. May we never forget the good news. May we stand in daily amazement at our own salvation. And may that, own, that gratitude propel us to share the gospel with others. Thanks, Sam. Let me pick up and uh, read 14 and 15. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. I don't know about you, but I love Romans 9 and 10. You really have to read Romans 9 and 10 together. Romans 9 is vertical theology. It's the theology of God choosing us before the foundation of the world. It is divine election. Whether we feel comfortable or not, that's what Romans 9 says, that God sovereignly chooses us before the foundation of the world. But then you've got to read Romans 10 alongside Romans 9. Romans 10 is human responsibility. Romans 9 is God's sovereignty. Romans 10 is our responsibility. And they both have to be read side by side. In the words of Joshua, as for me and my house, we will choose the Lord. And if we do not choose God, we are rightly damned. We are rightly responsible. Now, I don't know how both of these work together. The vertical theology of God, the horizontal theology of man, they're both end. Now, you may say, well, you're on both sides of the fence. How does that work? I don't know. Ask the diaper society later on. Whoa. They'll tell you they can understand this stuff. Well, we might be a little better with the vertical theology. We'll let you do the horizontal theology. <laughs> Oh, my. Just kidding, oh Jeff. My. <laughs> well, how do they work together? It's a mystery. And mystery has to be one of the tools in our theological tool chest. There's lots of mystery in theology that is Christ-centered. How is God three and one? That's like 200% too much, Right. How is Jesus fully God and fully man? That's like a fully too many. We don't understand these things. They're a mystery. How does God sovereignly elect us before the foundation of the world? Yet we must share the gospel. We must receive Christ. And if we do not, we are fully culpable before the Lord. That is a mystery. I love the way Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 puts it. It says this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, 
God's ways are beyond what we would ever imagine. So Romans 9, it focuses on God's sovereignty. Romans 10, it focuses on our responsibility. I don't know how both of them work together. I don't know if you are reformed, you're Arminian, or you're Cal-Arminian. It doesn't really matter. We all have the responsibility to share the gospel with others. We all have the responsibility to place our faith in Jesus Christ. The two go together. I don't know how, they just do. And the Bible says that we have the responsibility, verse 14, to proclaim, to preach the good news to others. This is your responsibility. This is my responsibility. What does it look like? It might be that we go to a coffee store or a coffee shop with a friend, and over coffee we share what God has done in our life. It might be on Resurrection Sunday, just around the corner, that we send an email to family and friends. I often do this on both Christmas and on Easter. I send this email out to a number of family and friends, sharing what Christ means to me and what he's done in my life. Because I have believing and unbelieving family and friends. It may be inviting someone here to church where they will hear the gospel. God wants us to communicate the gospel. You may say, well, I'm not really good at that. Remember, God communicated through a donkey once. No comments from either one of you. And he can communicate through all of us. What does 2 Timothy 4.2 say? It says, preach the word in season and out of season. What does Matthew 9, 37 and 38 say? The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers to go out into the harvest field. 2 Corinthians 5, 20. Therefore, since we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be ye reconciled to God. This is my responsibility. This is your responsibility. Or in the words of verse 15, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. As I thought about those feet, I, I thought of the historical context. It's one in which we, we don't have CNN, we don't have satellites, we don't have instant news. The setting is of a village, perhaps it's been under attack. The warriors are out at the front, maybe a mile or two away. They're defending the village. And the villagers don't know exactly what's going on. Are we free? Or are we enslaved? Have we won or have we lost? And they long for the feet of a messenger to bring good news that we're still free, that we're still safe. That's our job, to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Some of you know the name Dr. Donald Barnhouse. Of yesteryear, he was the pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. He shares an account from West Africa of a man named Abina who had beautiful feet. Now, Abina had a parasitic disease 
elephantitis and his limbs were blown up, very hard, calloused. He had to move with great difficulty. Often when he moved, he would have uh, bloody feet. And yet he loved the villagers that he lived with. And every morning he would get up and he would go from villager to villager to villager to share salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. And some came to Christ and some didn't. And every night he would come home and, and he would nurse the wounds, but with joy, not bitterness, but with joy because of what God was doing. And a day came when he had shared salvation with every single villager. And he shared to his friend that there was, there was another village a mile down the road. And every morning he would get up and he would drag his body. He would drag those, those oversized limbs through the jungle to that village. And he would share salvation by faith in Christ. And he would come back and he would nurse his wounds. And he would say with joy what God was doing. And months passed. He did it day after day after day until a day came when everyone in that second village had heard about salvation by faith in Christ. And he shared with his friend, a missionary doctor, there was a village 12 miles away and they needed to know about Jesus. The missionary doctor said, no, Abina, you can't go. I know you have beautiful feet, but you can't go. You can't survive the trip. It can't happen. That's somebody else's territory. While later, the village woke up and Abina wasn't there. Many assumed he had gone down to the river for some water, but as the day passed, Abina didn't show up. And then the day passed, and the week passed, and no Abina, and month after month, and everybody assumed that Abina had died. And then after many months, Abina came back, his legs bloodied and needing attention and bandaged. He had traveled 12 miles through the jungle and he had stayed in the open air for months every day sharing the joy of Christ, salvation by faith in Christ, sharing what God had laid upon his heart until everyone in that village had heard the gospel. And then he came back. Those are beautiful feet. Beautiful feet are individuals who care enough about a loved one to share salvation by faith in Christ. Beautiful feet invite someone to church to hear the gospel. Beautiful feet might go on a short-term or a long-term mission trip. Beautiful feet invest in missionaries, hearing their stories over in the cafe, perhaps saying, you know what, we can support one of these people we can support one of their works. That's beautiful feet. Andrew, do you have beautiful feet? What would Megan say about your quad hoppers? Hmm. I really don't know how to answer that. Hmm. We're just going to look at verses 16 and 17. In these verses, Paul writes, But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. You know, as we look at verse 16, we realize the right measurement of success when it comes to evangelism. We realize that even when people have beautiful feet, not everybody is going to rightly respond to the gospel message. Some people still are not going to believe. 
And that's important for us to keep in mind because I've interacted with a lot of people who feel very defeated when they've shared the gospel and the person didn't come to know Christ that day and they feel like they've failed as an evangelist. However, that's simply not true. That's not not the right measurement of success when it comes to being people of beautiful feet and sharing the gospel. As we see here, not everybody is always going to respond. The right measurement of success isn't conditioned on the response of the person so much as our obedience to faithfully and clearly deliver the gospel message. You know, I think of the parable of the soils or the sower in Matthew chapter 13. Jesus shares a parable about a man going out to scatter seed over his soon-to-be plowed fields. And as he goes out and throws the seed, it lands on four different types of soil. Some of the seed landed on good soil. Some landed on rocky and thorny soil. And then others landed on the path that was pretty much as hard as concrete. And Jesus makes it clear that this parable is illustrating four responses people might have to the gospel. Some will receive it with joy and gladness and quickly produce a harvest. Some will outright reject it and want nothing to do with the gospel message. And then others will be interested but cautious and they'll have a lot of qualifiers and caveats and they're just not ready to make a commitment. We recognize through this parable that we're not in control of how other people respond. We're called to scatter the seed God promises to supply the growth. In a very real sense, we're called to be spiritual delivery men and women. Our role in evangelism would be similar to the role of FedEx delivering a treadmill to someone's house. So when you're thinking about this, what's FedEx's mission to deliver this treadmill? It's to deliver it on time and undamaged, right? FedEx is not held responsible if the recipient decides to use it or put it in the corner and allow it to collect dust and use it as their new rack for laundry. You know, that's not within their purview. You know, your, your illustration got me thinking this past week. Just oh boy. a little bit. I heard a rumor that there was a big package that got delivered to the Heinz household like a week ago. <laughs> So while Pastor Jeff was in a meeting, I swiped his keys and snuck over to his house to see how the treadmill was being used. And this is what I found. So. <laughs> well, at least there's a golf digest that's showing a little cardio there. Okay, yeah. So. That is Betty Ann's <laughs> treadmill. <laughs> You're really going to throw your wife under the bus? Whoa. She's playing the keys at My- West and she won't know. <laughs> So as we as we think about delivering the the good, <laughs> as we think about delivering the good news of the gospel, it's just our obedience to faithfully and timely share the the good news. Uh, you know, a good way to think about it. I, I heard it said this uh, this way once. When it comes to evangelism, our goal should be to leave a pebble in someone's shoe. Have you ever had a rock in your shoe? It's it, it's kind of in the back of your mind until you do something with it. No matter how much you try not to think about it, as long as you're walking around, it's there just kind of nagging at you until you decide whether, uh, what you want to do with it. That's kind of the idea of what we should do. We want to leave people thirsty for Christ to where when they walk away from a conversation, they have to do something with how they're feeling. They have to choose, do I want to accept this? Do I want to put, there's something in the back of my mind that says, I need to think about this more. We are called to put spiritual pebbles in people's shoes. And we really need all of this information to understand verse 16 correctly. Because in verse 16, Paul says that not everybody who's 
heard obeyed the gospel. Some have not believed, right? And the idea of what Paul is talking about here is the nation of Israel. Because at this point in time, even though the nation of Israel had been exposed to Jesus teaching and preaching for three years, even though they had uh, witnessed his miraculous works, they'd witnessed his death, burial, and resurrection, there was still much of the nation that chose to reject Jesus and not believe. And Paul knew this to be true. All throughout the book of Acts, when he would enter into a new city, he would oftentimes start in the synagogue preaching the gospel. And when they would reject him and not respond well, he'd go and preach to the Gentiles. But no matter how many times Paul faced rejection, he never was tempted to give up or throw in the towel. He wanted to be faithful regardless because he knew that God's word does not return void. And you know, at verse 17, Paul concludes this passage with a really amazing summary statement. He declares that faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes through the word of Christ. So what Paul is saying there is that salvation really does come from no other name. Salvation comes in no other name but Christ alone. Our friends, our co-workers, our family members, our community members, they need us to be those spiritual delivery men and women and share the name of Christ with them. They need to know who Jesus is. And you know, it also means not just our local friends, family, co-workers, community members, but people globally need people to share the gospel with them as well. That is why missions work is so vitally important. And as you saw, we have missionaries here from all around the world, and they're doing amazing work. They're planning churches. They're training indigenous pastors. They are translating the Bible into new languages. They are working with high schoolers, athletes, college students all across the world. And amazing stuff. It's amazing stuff, and, and praise the Lord for the work that they're doing. I mean, up here, represented, we had, we had two missions partners that have completed a translation into the New Testament for the very first time into two new languages, the language of the Palaka and Migaba people groups. Think about that for a moment. Think about what it means to write down a language for the very first time, teach people how to read their own language, write down accurately the Bible, translate it, do the linguistic work, then have it printed. And can you imagine? We have a small part in that. Yeah. That's, that's unbelievable. It's humbling. It's unbelievable. Yeah. There's amazing work being done. But the reality is the, the task is not finished. The world needs more Christ followers who are willing to support that mission's work around the world. Right now, according to the Joshua Project's, uh, Project's metrics, there are currently around 7,000 unreached people groups in the world. So let me define those terms a little bit. A people group is a group of people that's defined by a shared language, culture, and customs. And then unreached means that within that people group, there is less than 2% evangelical Christian, which is kind of the metric that they have chosen to say, once you hit 2%, that's what's needed to have a sustainable indigenous church movement. That translates to about 3.2 billion people that are still technically classified in an unreached people group. There are still billions of people who need Christ followers with beautiful feet to come and share the gospel with them. 
You know, I'll never forget a conversation I had with a, uh, a Christ follower over in Japan. We were in a village a couple hours right outside of Tokyo. And you probably don't know this, but the Japanese, under this metric at least, are the second largest unreached people group in the world, a nation of around 120 million people with less than 0.5% evangelical. That's less than a million believers in a nation of 120 million. And as I was talking with this brother in Christ, as I was leaving the area, he just reached over and grabbed me and said, don't forget us. Go back and tell the world that the Japanese people need more missionaries. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are, are few. As we think about stories like that, I can't help but think of what God says to Isaiah and Isaiah early on in his letter. He says, who shall I send and who will go to speak for the people of Israel? And Isaiah responded, here I am, Lord, send me. Let us be a church that says, here we are, Lord, send us. So as we conclude our sermon today, we just want to end with a few practical ideas of how we can be people with beautiful feet. I think to start, it's sometimes easy for us to think, you know, for me to have beautiful feet, for me to go, then I've got to go to the DR, I've got to go to Ethiopia, I've got to go to, to Tokyo to share the gospel. And those are, those are great things. That might be step five or six. Let's think of step one to start. Think of the thousands of people in central Wisconsin that don't know Jesus. Our coworkers, our friends, our family members, our people we work out with at the gym, our neighbors, the people in our sphere that need Jesus. What does it look like for us to share the gospel with them? What would that even look like this week? What would happen if each one of us this morning pray, Father, give me one person to share the gospel with this week, just one person. Imagine if everyone in the Highland family shared the gospel with one person this week. Have thousands of people that would hear about Jesus. Amazing. What would it look like for us to have beautiful feet and bring the gospel to people within our sphere of influence? Let me skip a step ahead to step five and six. Because you <laughs> said we work here first, and we do. And we certainly want to learn about what these uh, full-time vocational ministers and missionaries are doing. So we ought to go to the cafe. But let's go to five and six, maybe short-term mission trips for us. Right now, as you probably know, three of our four campuses are engaged in short-term mission trips at this moment. We have a group coming back from Ethiopia, and they have been teaching Bible, and they have been doing some rewiring and some building. So there's a breadth of work. There's a fairly large group in the Dominican Republic. Some are working in worship. Some are preaching. Some are teaching. Some are building. A wide variety of work is being done. In a couple weeks, uh, you guys are taking 22, 23 young adults to Mexico to do a vacation Bible school and to do some discipleship in Mexico. And when we think about the possibilities of short-term mission trips, I think we need to ask ourselves, what spiritual gift, what talents has the Lord entrusted to us, to you, to me, to go? I've never gone on one of those work trips that build things. I think of myself as tool-time Jeff. 
You know, I, I've got lots of tools. I don't know how to use most of them. <laughs> when I do do something, Ted Hahn has to come and fix it and put it right. I'm not very good at that. Uh, nobody asks me to go when a worship team goes somewhere. It's offensive, but they don't ask me. <laughs> but if they want someone to teach hermeneutics or homiletics, maybe I might make that group. What has God entrusted you with? What has he entrusted me with? Not only finances to support missionaries, not only time and prayer. We all have time to pray, but on a short-term trip, what skill, what spiritual gift has God graced you with that might be used in another part of the world? So I want to broaden our perspective out one final step for our last point of application. When talking with different mission organizations across the U.S., one of the most common answers that I've received when asking what the greatest need is, uh, is young people to come and to take the places of a aging and retiring missionary force. So the present replacement rate of missionaries can't actually even sustain our current level of missionaries going out from the state. So rather than advancing in the 21st century in our missions endeavors, we're actually receding. Uh, let's recall what Isaiah said. When the Lord said, whom shall I send? Who will go for my people? Isaiah steps up and says, here I am, Lord, send me. So we really need to be asking ourselves the question, where are the young people willing to take up that call and go and support missions work globally, whether that is financially, whether that is maybe going cross-culturally long-term and serving as a missionary? Who are the people that are going to be that next generation? We're the millennials and Gen Zers that are raising up to say, I will go. We're the young people willing to say, I will sacrifice the American dream and my comfort so that I can go and other people can experience the comfort of Christ for all of eternity. Where are the current retirees who now are empty nesters and have a little less, uh, uh, less things kind of holding them down and they can now go and uh, be on the mission field and begin a new chapter of life. Let us think about whether or not God might be calling us to go and serve. Highland would love to be a church that sends out people to be cross-cultural missionaries all across the world. I wonder if even this day, God might be putting on someone's heart to say, Here I am, Lord, send me. And may all of us have that attitude. And as we close out our time this morning, you know, we would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to say, we've been talking a lot about sharing the gospel and being missionaries but we also want to just say, maybe you're out there today and you have never rightly responded to the gospel yourself. Uh, let today be the day that you respond to the gospel and put your faith in, in Christ. Maybe as Pastor Sam was saying earlier, you've been trusting in the wrong things. You've been trusting in, I was baptized when I was a baby. I have done a lot of good works. My church attendance has all the stars across it. I, I just do a really good job of going through the Christian motions. But if you were to look at your life and say, have I truly turned from my sin and trusted in Christ alone and called on the name of the Lord for salvation? I don't know if I've ever really done that. So if that's you here today, recognize that for God so loved the world that he sent his son to come and live a perfect life on your behalf to die the death that you deserve so that you can have eternal life through him alone. So please don't walk away from here today without knowing the joy, the absolute joy 
that comes from being a new creation in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity to open up your word this morning, to share this missional text, and to be reminded that we want to be people of beautiful feet, sharing the gospel near and far. And Father, if there is anybody here today who has not responded to that gospel message, I pray that even right now in this moment, they direct their attention to you, repent of those sins, and put their faith and you will become a new creation in Christ. Father, with the rest of our morning, we just pray that we can worship you now through music. We pray that we take advantage of this opportunity to get to know our amazing missions partners. And Father, we just pray that we are a church that takes seriously our calling to make the gospel known unto all people. We love you. We're so grateful for your love for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.